I'm blessed to see you here today. I always enjoy times of Sunday mornings, not just in here, but in the hallways as we get to kind of rub elbows with one another and talk. It has been a tough week, hasn't it? It's uh, been disheartening in a lot of ways. And so what I want to do today is just go ahead and give you kind of a heads up. Uh, We're going to read two full chapters in the Bible today together. It's not a joke. I know you guys think a lot of times I'm joking. I'm going to set that up with it's not a joke. We're going to read all of Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read all of uh, Genesis chapter 23. Because in response to what we see going on, I think it's better that instead of hearing Daniel's words, we hear the words of Christ, the words of our Father. And, And I think that what was impressed upon my heart as I was preparing for Genesis 23 was the faith that Abraham had at the end of his life and the testimony that he gave to, to the world through the things that was happening negatively to him is the testimony that we see uh, and should be seen by. In R- Romans chapter 8, when we read through it, we're going to be reading who we're supposed to be as believers. Not who we're supposed to aspire to be, but what we're already able to claim because of Jesus. And so we're going to kind of read through that text, and then we're going to have prayer for uh, those who are involved with the tragedy at uh, Robb Elementary in uh, in Texas. And uh, the people of Uvalde just need to be cared for and loved on with the love of Christ right now. And I just pray that we would be able to do that from here, from a distance. I know that we're once removed a little bit because of the distance, but it still hurts. And uh, I know that if you're like me, when you heard the news, I was like, really? Again? This has got to stop. And so I want us to kind of lean into the Scripture text today and allow the Scripture to speak to us uh, in a response. I know that when things like this happen, um, you know, we think the church should uh, stand up and rise up, and there is a way that the church can stand up and rise up, but I want the Scripture text to teach us today what that's going to be as we lean into it. So we're going to read through uh, all of Romans uh, 8. No commentary. I'm just going to allow the Scripture text to speak. You can go back on your own and study Romans 8 uh, on uh, on your own time, but I can tell you this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because this is who we are as believers. This is who we are as we identify as sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or God, rather, through the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So this is Romans chapter 8. If you would allow me to read through this um, as you follow along in whatever form you want to follow along. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." 
For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, hostile toward, to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who, it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's my prayer that the Spirit of God will speak to our hearts in the hurt and the pain that we realize who we are as a people in Christ through the reading and the hearing of his word. We are to be a people that responds to the negativity of the world in a way that brings about hope for a hurting and lost world. What I wanna do for just a moment is kind of like show us a picture of who we are in that faith. The commonality that you and I have is not only that we're human, but we have a commonality in Christ and we are a community. So what I, excuse me, what I would like to do is ask that if you are currently or have ever served on staff in a school system, would you please stand? our frontline folks here. Then I'll remain standing. If you are or you have ever been a first responder, would you please stand? If you have a student under the age of 18, would you please stand? If you have other families outside the ones that are living in your current home who are students, would you please stand? Look around. We are a community. We are a community of believers who come together under the commonality of Jesus Christ. We walk with the hope that only Jesus Christ 
can give. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. What I want to do is offer up a prayer for Uvalde, Texas, and the folks that are there because you know what they need right now? They need care. They need concern. They need love. They don't need slap on the wrist from the church. They don't need philosophies. They don't need just should-haves. They need the hope that Jesus Christ gives. Now, I know that you may not know anyone that lives there. It's not like you can call them up this afternoon and say, hey, this is what was on my heart. But here today, as a body of believers, we can trust that that community is also worshiping today as well as a community and coming before the Lord asking for his peace. And so we can come alongside them through prayer and lift them up in prayer. So if you'd allow me to lead out loud, you pray silently where you are for the folks in Texas who suffered such a horrible tragedy this week. Let's pray. Father, um, we come before you as a community of believers, a family that you've pulled together here. Different walks of life, different backgrounds, different uh, just uh, things here in life. We come, we come at life differently. But we share the commonality of your son Jesus. And in our desire to want to see change, we fall before you humbly asking that your spirit move. We've tried a lot of different things, and we just simply need you. And so, Father, we, as a body of believers here, pause before your throne and lift up the folks in Uvalde, Texas. Whether they are believers or not, we lift them up to you. We ask that your grace be seen, that your comfort and your healing be present and that you hold families that so tragically lost someone. Give that peace that passes understanding. Allow the body of believers there to reflect your love and your grace in such a way that others are drawn to the ultimate healer and that being you. We come with concern. We come with a reality that it was just tragic. We come with questions, Father, to your throne. We don't get it, and we hurt. So on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in the middle of this, hold them, guide them, comfort them. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are indeed a community of believers in Christ. It will take our humility before the Lord, it will take our humility to the world for the world to change. It will take revival in our own hearts and revival in our land to see true solutions to the problems we're experiencing in our culture. 
The left and the right philosophies have merit, but they will always fall short. The answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To allow our culture to continue down the spiraling path, that trajectory of imploding with a tug of war of philosophies this way, philosophies that way, is only answerable from the church that holds the truth of healing through Jesus Christ. For the church to remain silent, for the church to not speak up with the love of Jesus Christ to a hurting world is an affront and an embarrassment to those who have given their lives for the freedoms that we experience in our nation. It is time for us to stop thinking that our lifestyle is going to reflect hope into people's lives. It not only takes a holy chosen lifestyle, but it also takes our words for people to hear the truth. We can no longer afford to be silent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, we as a nation celebrate what's called Memorial Day. Now, Memorial Day started, it was called Decoration Day. It was after the Civil War when it started, but then when the later wars came along, they changed the name to Memorial Day to remember and to honor those who gave their lives for the freedoms that you and I get to experience. So if we can do something a little different, if you don't mind, if you will take out your phone, open up your reminder app, because I don't know if you know this or not, but at 3 o'clock p.m. local time, you are supposed to, on Memorial Day, pause and reflect on those who have given their lives for our freedoms. So I want you to set a reminder in your phone for 3 p.m. Monday. And wherever you are, I would ask that you do two things. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, when your phone pings at 3 p.m., that you would stop and you would reflect on those who have given their life. You would thank the creator in the universe uh, for our nation that we have, but then you would look around wherever you may be to see if you are near someone that could probably use the hope of Jesus Christ. It may be a family member. They may already be believers, but allow your conversation to go to the things of God's Word. Because of the freedoms that we experience here in our nation, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to freely say the name of Jesus. We have the ability for me to be able to stand up here and preach the Word unapologetically And God set that up so that we could have the freedoms to do so, not that we could live in comfort. Can I just get that point across? God didn't allow our freedoms in this nation so that we could just be comfortable. He allowed the freedom in this nation so that we could share the gospel with one another and the world. Not that we could self-righteously say we've got it all together and look at us because we're better than everybody, but that we don't have to walk in fear of what we're planning to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Unfortunately, America has rested on that, and we have stepped back and we have backburnered the gospel in a lot of ways. And we are having now the tendency to complain more vocally and more loudly about the things that are inconveniencing us rather than vocally sharing, yeah, that's tough, but Jesus is my hope. And it's time for us to share the gospel. So, when I was reading through Genesis 23, and in, in mid-middle week, I really start hearing the strong news about what's happening in Texas, it grieved my heart. And I said, God, when is, when is something going to change? I mean, what is the answer here? And he showed me very clearly that in the text in Genesis 23, that Abraham, at the end of his life, had begun to live Romans chapter 8 in a faith in a God that he was walking with. So what I want to do is we're going to read the whole chapter. We're going to stop after sections, and we're going to talk a little about it. We're going to see Abraham's grief. We're going to see Sarah's grave and how that came about. And then we're going to see... Ephron's gift and what that means and, and how that actually works and who we are and how we are to respond. Listen, I know that we really want to heal to charge. We, we, we think somebody out there has got to have that solution that's going to fix the hurt and the pain and the angst and the evil that is in the world there's got to be somebody out there that's, that's going to step up and lead in a way and, and people are going to go, ah, oh, that's it, that'll fix this and we no longer have to live in fear. The fact of the matter is, God's plan A is you and me for us to be ambassadors for the love of Jesus to our friends and neighbors and associates and anyone we come in contact with so that the gospel can change hearts. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some, some things that leaders can do to put in place that will, will help. I'm not saying we shouldn't look into that. I pray that it's Christian folks that are leading so that they can, with God's wisdom, say, here's, you know, A through Z that's going to fix some things. But ultimately, ultimately, the answer to this nation's woes is Jesus Christ himself. He hasn't raised up another Billy Graham yet. Now his son is doing a good, good work in our nation and around the world, but his son's not holding big arena events where we can invite our friends to go hear the gospel. He's asking us to reach our neighbors with the gospel, to give a testimony to the world that says, I know you're experiencing high gas prices too, but you don't seem to be so bent out of shape about it. In fact, every time I want to talk to you about it, you say, yes, this and this and this, and this is how it's impacted me, but um, you seem to have a peace in your heart that doesn't make sense to me. Where are you getting that? Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We walk purchased by the blood of Jesus and this is not our home. Our kingdom that we should be fighting for 
is heaven. That's where all of our energy needs to be fighting. We need to be fighting for the kingdom of heaven. We're part of the Lord's army. So let's look at this. Genesis 23, 1 through 6 first. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kerahath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, which by the way, the Hittites were pagan people, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. We see in this several things that's coming out of the text. We see Abraham's grief. And you can see as you're reading through this and you know where Abraham now is in his life that he is not weeping because he wonders where Sarah is. He is not weeping because he, he thinks that um, it, it was the end of things. He is weeping because he misses the love of his life. Weeping's not wrong. I, I've heard people say to some people who have lost someone before, I've heard them say, oh, don't cry, don't cry, have hope in Jesus. That's not good biblical counsel. If you lose a loved one, weeping is natural. God gave us that emotion of, that really hurts my heart. I'm gonna miss them. Now we weep in hope. Don't forget that, we weep in hope. And you don't weep the rest of your life. You come out of that because you have hope. But grieving the loss of a spouse, grieving the loss of a loved one that you're going to miss is a normal part of life. And to fight back and choke back the tears is just making it more desperate. Be willing to embrace the loss and say, we know that it is appointed unto everyone to die once. We know that we're going to miss them. It's okay. It's okay to miss them. I think it's very interesting to see that she is being born, I mean, being buried. That's a bad difference there, right? Well, she's kind of born into heaven, so I'm not going to try to clean that up. <laughs> that was just a brain hiccup or something, I don't know, that she was being buried in the land of Canaan. And we don't have time to cover it today, but go look at the land of Canaan, what the, land, what the word Canaan means, uh, what it was. Do a study on the land of Canaan and see how beautiful it is that Abraham was actually able to bury his bride in the land of Canaan. It's a beautiful thing. Like I say, I don't have time to touch it because I would have to walk down through some things. The second thing that I see here is that is very interesting is that there was a testimony that Abraham had with the pagan culture and they knew who he was. Look at verse 6. Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. They, they knew who he was. They, they knew what he stood for. They knew he had a faith that was different from theirs. You are a prince of God. What an incredible compliment 
to Abraham, that they publicly acknowledged that to him. That's amazing. I would hope that people that just kind of semi-know me would say, not, yeah, he's a preacher, but they would say, the little I knew about him, he, was, he walked in faith. What an amazing compliment to someone who was walking with Christ. So Abraham's grief, though, came about from a faith that he had in the Father. How do I know that? Let's look at something. Who actually owned the land of Canaan? Don't answer out loud, just think to yourself. Who actually owned the land of Canaan? Well, ultimately God did, but who did God give it to? Abraham. And he is in the land of Canaan, and he's talking to the Hittites, and what does he say to them in verse 4? I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. He was not focused on the land anymore. He was focused on the things above. He had faith that was causing his eyes to look up. He knew that the promise of the land was to him. He could have gotten up and said, hey, I just want y'all to know something. You may not know it yet, but God gave me this land, and so I'm just going to go claim that cave over there and uh, try to stop me. No, what was he doing? He was, he was stepping into with his testimony. He was not being self-righteous and you know, kind of going in, but he was actually stepping up, and he realized where his true home was. I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place. That's, that's an interesting thing, but that's the testimony that he had in his grief. Let me ask you a question. When you are at your lowest point, when you get gut-punched with something, what oozes out of you? What type of attitude do you show others? It is a, I don't care what you think, I am going to step up and get what is mine. Or is it a humility and a humbleness to say, hey, right now I'm hurting and here's my request. That's through a faith in God that causes that to happen. Abraham gives a great example of that. Then let's look on, starting at verse 7. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites. He was culturally being pleasant to them. That in no way cheapened his testimony and faith to God. He was saying that I know the customs here, and I'm going to bow to you. I'm going to thank you for listening to my words. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Mechpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as a property for a burying place. Now, Abraham is not speaking to the whole entire community. You'll see in just a moment that he's at the gate, and apparently he's speaking to the elders who are running the city, who are running that particular place. Verse 10, now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. 
I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. Now, you may not know this, but Middle East customs would recognize this as a beginning of bargaining, a starting place of bartering. And, and a lot of commentary writers will say, wow, wasn't Ephraim just so giving? Well, watch how it progresses, and then you see how Abraham, in his faith to God, and knowing where he actually lived, and knowing who owned everything anyway, rose above. It's interesting. Watch this. He says, now Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered, Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. Again, he is being respectful to the customs. And he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give you the price of the field except Accept it from me that I may bury my dead. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Now, it sounds like that he's kind of like saying, No, take it, take it. In that custom, it would have been, have been a bartering thing. But how Abraham rose above is that many commentaries writers would, would tell you that 400 shekels was way above market value. Way above market value. So, how does this work? Here's what happens Abraham says, If it would please you, I would like a cave at the end of this field to bury my wife in. Ephron owns it. Ephron hears it. He says, Oh, by all means, don't only just take the cave, take the whole field. Just take it, it's yours. I don't want to stand in between you. Abraham, knowing the customs, says, But I want to pay full price for it. Please allow me to pay full price for it. Now, if you ever have a chance to visit anyone in the Middle East in that custom and you walk into their home and you say, that is an amazing candle you have setting there, they're going to say, by all means, take it. So if you don't want to carry a whole lot of stuff back home on the airplane, don't compliment their stuff, <laughs> Right? And so he's saying, I, I want the cave. He says, no, by all means, take the cave in the field. He says, I want to pay full price. He says, oh, what is 400 shekels? I imagine, now this is a Danielism here, but I imagine he was expecting Abraham to say, well, how about I give you 200 shekels for it all? Because he was still engaged in that bartering time. But what did Abraham do when he rose above it? He said, I will give it to you all. I'll give all of it to you. He, he says uh, in verse 16, he says, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the, for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Mechpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over, and you're thinking, why so much detail there? Okay, he bought the land. This is kind of pointing out that for the first time, Abraham actually owns property in the promised land that was promised to him. This is the first time he actually has the deed for the property, and so they're given the details to clarify it's everything. 
And this is the starting of the building of the nation and the promise is, that is to come. It says in verse 18, to Abraham as, possess, as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. So he, Abraham, he stated his case. He satisfied the customs of the time and he secured the contract. And he did it all by remaining above reproach. He did it all with a faith-like business dealing. He didn't try to cheat Ephron. He actually said, I'm going to step up and do what you're asking to do. But let's look a little bit further about this in verses 19 and 20. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Mechpatha, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, keeps coming back to that. It's given the details. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites, by a pagan culture. Now is becoming the first process of it. Here's the thing that is, that is ironic to me, but I, I want to kind of point out to you, Abraham, um, over 100 years of age now, is understanding the promises of God. And the same thing that Paul was pointing to in Romans chapter 8, that we have nothing to worry about in this world because we're bought. Our kingdom is not here. We will have troubles. We will have difficulties. We will have frustrations. But that's not where our hope is. Our hope is not in a, a, an earthly solution tomorrow. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And here's what's the irony about it. Abraham owned Canaan because God had given it to him. Abraham, at higher than market value, took his money and purchased land that he already owned. And the interesting thing about it is, I believe Abraham also knew who owned the money that he had. Abraham was no more concerned about this land he was there in a faith in God to honor the kingdom to come. And that's why I say our fight as believers in Jesus Christ should be for the kingdom of heaven. That's our cause. That's our purpose. That's our reason for living now is for the cause of Christ to point people to the hope that is and is to come. You see, because there was also another bartering time that I had nothing to do with, but I caused it. My sin brought about myself penalty of death. That my flesh was dead, my spirit was dead, all of me was dead. And walking without Christ, I was dead. But the bartering that took place was Jesus saying, what is the price to purchase? And in my mindset of what I would be willing to give for someone else, above market value, the price was life itself. And Jesus said, I know who owns everything. And my eyes are not on what's happening there 
but I will willingly pay that price with my own life. And when I realize that and I accept that and I ask Jesus into my life and I start walking with him and I give over to him, being adopted into the same family of Abraham, being adopted into God's family, I am an heir to the throne now because of the purchase of the spilled blood of Jesus Christ. I am owned by him through a bartering that I didn't negotiate but caused. And so you and I need to play the long game in this cultural hurt that we see all around us, that we need to realize that our hope is not in some great leader to stand up and say, here are the answers that's going to stop all school shootings forever. That would be great. I would not knock it. But the answer in amongst the pain that we're feeling, the hurt that we're feeling, the broken relationships that we're experiencing, all of the yuck and the muck that we're seeing in the world, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful that this is not my home. I enjoy a lot of the world, but I am so thankful it's not where I'm going to spend eternity. Amen? I'm going to spend eternity with the creator of the universe who will bring things to life that I could have never imagined. And there are those in this world who are still shackled to the flesh, who need to be set free from that through a realization of who Jesus is. And so where does that leave us? The heel that you and I charge is the heel of darkness and our weapon is God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verbally speaking, the truths that are in here, you don't have to know every answer. In fact, if somebody asks you a question about the Bible and you don't know the answer, don't feel like you're a failed Christian because you can't answer it. Just look at them and go, Wow, that's, I don't know. That makes you more human, right? They're, they're, they're not thinking they're walking into the presence of some almighty when they're talking to you. They know you're human. We know we're human, right? So when you're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and an answer, a question is asked and you don't know the answer, just go, I don't know uh, the answer to that, but let me call the church and talk to Pastor Adam. It's adam.more at peninsulabaptist.com. <laughs> you know what our fight is? It's for the kingdom of heaven. And the great thing is this. Although we feel like, well, you know, if I talk to that person, I'm going to be like thrown out to the wolves. No, here's the amazing thing. Just like in the Old Testament where you see God's people were getting ready to go fight a battle, and uh, they said, God, how do you want us to set our ranks up? And he said, put at the very front of your ranks your choir and have them march into battle singing praises to me. 
<laughs> That's how I choose to fight my battles, by the way, is through purposely, intentionally figuring out how to get my mindset and my spirit in a way of praise to God the Father so that the spirit is actually fighting the battle for me. I have nothing in this world to fear. Someone may take my life tomorrow. I may accidentally pass away tomorrow or I may fall dead tomorrow, but I have nothing to fear because I am bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and one day I'm gonna be standing at the throne worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that's where my hope is. It's not here. And that's what the world needs to hear. So tomorrow at 3 p.m. when my phone pings, I'm gonna take a moment to pray to God to bring a name or a face to my mind of someone he would like for me to share the gospel with over the next little bit. Because the world is hurting. And for the first time out of all the tragedies that I've heard, for the first time on the news this week, I heard several people on several different occasions, on several different uh, news outlets say, it is time for us to lean back into and allow our faith to lead us. I almost fell out of my chair when I heard that. So the world is beginning to say, okay, we've tried everything. Does anybody have an idea of how to fix this? And the answer is, yes, we do. And so let's look for opportunities to share. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, just as Abraham showed a testimony to the people around him, they knew who he was in you. Just as he showed faith to respect those around him, but yet to stay in his faith, to, to live above reproach, to give a testimony that lives to this day. Help us to walk in that. Help us to look for opportunities to not only live an example in front of others, but to speak the truth to others. Give us the courage to know that when we walk into those types of settings that your spirit has already gone ahead of us that you're always working in people's lives. But the voice that you've chosen to reach this nation, to reach this world, is our voices. We have the ability to be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to have the courage and the faith to step into that so that the dark world can experience the light. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to have opportunity to hear the truths of the faith through my family as I grew up, through others at my church as they spoke into me, and then calling me to yourself to give me an opportunity to experience salvation. Help me to share that with others. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Jeff. Would y'all stand?